You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow Bright City Church on Instagram. Today's message is from Pastor Nick. Good morning. In case you didn't know, week five, resistance is persistent. Can I get an amen? I'm going to keep saying that. Resistance in your life is persistent. The things that God has for your life, the things that he has spoken over your life, the identity that he's placed on you, the heart that he's given you, there is going to be resistance in your life when it comes to the things of God. And so over this journey, we've kind of talked about a few things about how resistance can come up in our lives and specifically how these things can derail us from persevering in our life. I don't know if you've, you've seen this or read the scriptures in this way, but when you get to the New Testament, it is a lot of people enduring extreme hardship so they can make it to the end of their journey and keep going and not tap out. And then when you read it, you're, you're seeing these encouragements of God through these writers encouraging his people to keep going, to not giving up. Because I don't know about you, I'm only speaking for myself, there are times in my life where I want to give up. Can I get an amen? There are times in my life where I want to walk away from the very thing that I know God is calling me to. There are times in my life where I know that God has asked me to double down and stand firm and do the thing that he's asking me to do, and I don't want to do that very thing. And I don't know if this is good news or not, but I I need to tell you that that feeling is not going anywhere. But I think one of the things that makes it good news is that when we acknowledge that that could be a part of our journey, it helps us see what could happen, but helps us get a bigger vision for how God is moving and how he wants us to keep going. Galatians 6, 9 says that if we do not give up, we will reap a harvest. And so even though there are hard things going on in your life, even though there might be hard things in a relationship, even though there might be hard things at your job, even though there might be hard things in your specific calling, even though there might be hard things in however you've chosen to live your life, there is a harvest on the other side of those hard things. And so if you're missing any of those things, I encourage you just to check out the podcast because we deal with things like doubt and just how sometimes when we mistrust God or when we allow doubt to take over our lives, we mistrust God. We've talked about what, what do we do when we feel lonely, like when we feel like God's not there. What do we do when we're encountering uh, just all these forms of resistance in our life and how, how do we press through? And so I encourage you to listen to those things. Today, I want to tackle the light subject of spiritual attack. Um, And if you're laughing, you know that it is not light. Um, One of the things that I know living in the South is there's an interesting way in how people view a spiritual attack. But before I get to that, I need you to know that if you do wonder why there is evil in this world and you do wonder why there's so much hurt in this world and you're trying to make sense of it all, the only way I know how to make sense of it is evil and Satan himself. Like he has put up an agenda to undo the renewal that God wants to do in this world. He has put it on his shoulders 
to keep the kingdom of God from advancing. He has put it on his mantle and his shoulders to wreak havoc in this world. And so if you're struggling to try to make sense of the evil and the heartache in this world, I think a lot of times we look to God and we say, how could you? And God is, is screaming from the heavenlies like, hey, I need you to see that there is a greater force at play in this world. And it comes through the form of spiritual attack. But what happens in the South, at least, is there's kind of two ways that we view uh, spiritual attack. Is the first way is we give it too much credit, right? Like you stub your toe and you're like, oh, the enemy is just trying to get me today. Like you have a bad burrito and you're like, oh, Satan's always coming against me. I just, this time it was Chipotle. What is it going to be next? And what I find is that sometimes in order to stiff arm the responsibility of the sins that we have committed in our life, we blame everything on the enemy and we take no responsibility for the things that happen. There are things that we are going to do in this life that are wrong. There are ways that we are going to fall short of the glory of God. But here's the most beautiful thing about that is you don't have to blame anyone, especially Satan himself, because Jesus bore it all on the cross. To blame the enemy for the things in our life is actually to take emphasis off the cross. And here's what I mean by that is because when you give Satan too much glory, that means you are stealing that glory from Jesus and his work on the cross. And so as believers, as people who trust and follow Jesus, we have to be careful to not give the enemy too much credit. But then that leads me to the second danger is that's to give the enemy no credit at all. And so what happens is, is we start to extend blame to other people in our life and we start to take on what's kind of known as a victim mentality. And we think everyone's out to get us and we think God is against us, and we think all these things are working against us, and we fail to remember Romans 8 where God is working out all things for our good. And so when it comes to the enemy is we have to be willing to make sure that we are not giving him too much credit, but we are making sure that we are acknowledging that if we are children of God, right? This is what I talked about the first week, is that because we are children of God, our destiny is abundant life. But because we are children of God, the enemy is going to do everything he can to keep us from our destiny. And how he's going to do that is he's going to attack what you believe about God. He's going to attack how you believe in God. He's going to attack your identity. He's going to start to make you doubt who you are in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to top it off by causing you to doubt the plans and the purposes that God has for your life. And so when we look at our lives, we have to make sure that we, as someone prayed this morning in our 9 a.m. prayer, is that we have to keep the enemy the enemy. And I think too often we are blaming too many other things other than the enemy of this world. And as a result, we are not seeing him work. And he's like a puppeteer in the background. And we're like, no, this isn't a puppet show. It's a real thing. And you're like, hey, Nick, I'm pretty sure that's a sock. It's on a guy's hand. And he's doing this. And, you, and, and I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's not a puppet show. There's no puppet show. These are real characters. But in actuality, there is a real enemy that is at work in this world and at work in our lives because we are children of God. And so we cannot give the enemy too much glory, but we cannot act like he doesn't exist. And so I came across this quote this week, and I thought it was so good. 
says you must understand the evil one hates God, hates everything that reminds him of the glory of God, wherever it exists. So here's the deal. Unable to overthrow the mighty one, he turns his sights to those who bore his image. And so when you read in Genesis 1.27 that we are created in the image of God and in the image of God we're created, that image bearing that we have is the only thing that the enemy can attack in this world. And so he's going to do everything he can to mar our image and disrupt the plan of God because he knows he cannot defeat God. And so we have to be mindful of that. So today, I kind of want to talk about the spiritual battle that we're in. But I kind of want to first talk about how the enemy works. Because I always think about this. Like, if I, if just being honest with you, I wasn't the greatest student in high school. And I didn't excel in the studies. So I always believed as someone by God's grace, gave me the answers to the test before the test, then I had a chance, right? Like if if the teacher was like, hey, I'm giving you a study guide, here are the answers, and here is what the test looks like, and here's how the test is going to be laid out, and here's everything you need, then all of a sudden the guy who had no chance felt like he had a chance. I was like, all right, I can memorize some, I can memorize some patterns on a, on a sheet, like A, B, B, C, C, A, D, C, 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 because they're always C, right? Like, I, I have a chance. And so what I would love to do is I would love to give you the enemy's strategy and how he works. And then lastly, I want to talk about how you and I can stand firm when it comes to those attacks in our lives. But first, I want to read Matthew's gospel. This is the temptation account of Jesus. It's Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I think it'll be up here. It says, afterward, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to experience the ordeal of testing by the accuser. And after fasting for 40 days, I can't even do four hours, I don't even know. After fasting for 40 days, Jesus was extremely hungry. If you don't believe the Bible is true, that's truth. He was hungry. Then the tempter came to him and said, how can you possibly be the son of God and go hungry? Just command these stones to turn into loaves of bread, he answered. The scriptures say, bread alone will not satisfy, but true life is found in every word that constantly goes forth from God's mouth. Then the accuser transported Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem and perched him at the highest point of the temple and said to him, if you're really God's son, jump. And the angels will catch you. For it is written in the scriptures, he will command his angels to protect you and they will lift you up so that you won't even bruise your foot on a rock. Once again, Jesus said to him, the scriptures say you must never put the Lord your God to a test. And then the third time, the accuser lifted Jesus up onto a very high mountain range and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor that goes with it. All these kingdoms I will give to you, the accuser said, if only you will kneel down before me and worship me. But Jesus said, go away, Satan, for the scriptures say, kneel before the Lord your God and worship only him. At once the accuser left him and the angels suddenly gathered around Jesus to minister to his needs. 
And so this, this story or this part in scripture is, is so interesting because it really lends to Jesus' role in all of humanity. And what you need to know about Jesus is Jesus came in the form of man as God-man to redeem and renew that which was lost in the garden. And so everything Jesus is doing, he's kind of showing us the God way and the better way. And so when you see Jesus in the garden before the cross, you see a Jesus choosing obedience to go to the cross and die for humanity. But you're actually seeing God kind of connect some dots. It's like when you're watching that movie that has the crazy plot and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, okay, I see what's happening here. Like right now, I don't know if this is a good parenting mood or a move or a bad parenting move, but we're trying to watch Lost with our kids. And the whole time, they're like, wait a minute, what, what, so are, is this now or is this later? Like, are they flashing back? How did they, what, so they, they're playing Crash, but how did they not die? And then, so what's that hatch? Why can't they open the, like, question after question after question, and then all of a sudden, because we're all watching this too, it's like real time, like I've never seen it, they've never seen it, and so we're trying to say, hey, trust the process, like the dots will be connected, we're, we're all seeing this in real time, and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, and so Jesus, through his father, is giving us an aha moment, and so the garden for Jesus and choosing obedience is God showing us that this is his way of undoing what happened in the garden in Eden. So he's undoing. He's like, hey, this is the obedient one. Like just as Adam and Eve couldn't be obedient, he is the obedient one. So when you see Jesus in the wilderness, this is God connecting the dots for us. It's like, hey, Israel, they wandered in the wilderness, and they did not get it right. They complained they were always hungry. They always asked, are we there yet? They always asked all these things. And here comes Jesus, and he's stepping in. And he didn't ask me, are we there yet? So I love him the most already. But he's, at, he's, he's asking and repeating God's word, and he's stepping into his authority. And so all this God is doing is he's connecting the dots for us as his kids saying, hey, I need you to know that Jesus is the real deal. Like Jesus is the one. Jesus is coming to set things right, that which has been made wrong. And so this is kind of God just giving it to us as best he can. But also, God is graciously giving us an example in Jesus. Uh, he's like, hey, I, I know that WWJD, but also it's going to be impossible to WWJD. Like, what would Jesus do? But also we're going to fail. But what would Jesus do? I need you to show you the model because I want you to see what you are capable of if you step in the power and authority that you have in, in Christ Jesus. Like this was Jesus's deal is he was perfectly man, he was perfectly God, and he came to live his perfect life so that number one, we would not have the pressure of living the perfect life because we're not gonna be able to live the perfect life and so God extends his grace, but then as he extends his grace, he also extends his power and he says, hey, there is an opportunity if you want to, to pursue the journey of holiness and you can be holy as I'm holy. Like you can, you can step into some authority if you want to. And so Jesus is kind of here and he's like modeling what's possible in the abundant life that we could have in and through him. And so this is what God's doing in and through Jesus. And so how does Satan work? Well, one of the first ways that I see Satan working in this moment is Satan comes to kill our spiritual momentum. 
When we started this passage, it says afterwards Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And so kind of what's happening here is you have to know what this is after. This is after Jesus' baptism. This is after Jesus has been so affirmed by the Father, like, hey, this is my son, and I love him. He's got all my pleasure. Like, can you imagine that being your baptism story? So where did it happen? In the ocean? You know, what, you know your family was there. Where did you eat afterwards? I, I would bet it was lovely and wonderful. The birds were chirping, and the skies were clear. And Jesus is like, actually, there was the Father's voice from heaven. And then I got a dove. And so what the enemy's trying to do is he is trying to take a very powerful moment and squash all the power of that moment. And so when it comes to your life, if you have any spiritual momentum in your life, it is the enemy's job to come and thwart that momentum. It is in his job description. It is on his LinkedIn profile. The enemy of your soul, I'm coming to undo what God is doing in your life. So this is why when you feel like you're just now getting one foot in front of the other, something comes out of nowhere. And this is why when they say it rains, it pours, because the enemy is going to do everything he can to kill the spiritual momentum in your life. Earlier I said this in week one. If you are heading in the right direction and trying to follow God, you are going to experience resistance. You are going to make the commitment to get up early and have your quiet time, and your alarm's going to break. You're going to make the commitment to be at church every Sunday, and everyone's going to come to town and want to brunch it up. Like you are going to make the commitment to go hard after God, and then that person from your past life is going to call up and say, hey, do you want to go out? It's just, what was, what was one drink? Well, first of all, one drink is not one drink. One drink is two drinks, because I know how your economy and your math works, and one drink does not equal one drink. It equals two drinks, and it also means me not showing up the next day at church. And so if you have spiritual momentum in your life, it is his job to come against that spiritual momentum in your life. And so when it comes to your life, have you seen a move of God in your life? But then also, have you seen the move of enemy against that move of God in your life? Have you experienced that before? And I think a lot of times I feel a lot of shame and guilt because I'm like, if God's moving, like... God's moving. Why is there resistance? Like, why, why, why does this feel so hard? Obviously, I'm heading in the wrong direction because this is really hard, and, and that, that's not how it is with God. I've seen the Instagram pictures of the influencers and how they lay out their Bible perfectly and color in it, and this is my day, and this is what I eat, and this is how I go to the gym, and this is what I do, and that, that's not my life. Like, I, I'm, I'm fighting for my life over here. I'm not trying to be an influencer. I'm, I'm trying to just wake up and Follow Jesus every day. And so if you have any spiritual momentum in your life, it is the enemy's job to come against that spiritual momentum. Another way that we see him work is he comes to kill our commitments and capitalize on our weariness. He comes to kill our commitments and capitalize on our weariness. When you go back to this passage, it's clear that Jesus was committing to a 40-day fast. That is the only explanation I have as to why someone doesn't eat. Like, I'm hungry. I like to eat. And so if you don't eat, it's because you have a commitment to not eat. That's how the math works in my head. And after 40 days, Jesus was extremely hungry. And all of a sudden, Jesus, uh, Satan shows up. 
He comes to capitalize on any commitment that you've made when it comes to your relationship with God. There are times in our lives where we feel like God is asking us to make the commitment to abstain from this, to not do this, to not do Netflix, to not do this thing and that thing and all the things. And it is a very powerful moment because it's us saying, God, I'm laying these things down because I want to hear from you more and I want to trust you with those things and I want to believe you for those things. Have you ever committed to tithing and then all financial hell breaks loose in your life? And I use that word accordingly because it's financial hell. Have you ever committed to say, all right, this is the month. I start giving to God and then the car breaks down. And then this happens in the house, and then that happens. It's because the enemy is going to do everything he can to get you to not be able to commit to do what you're supposed to do. And so you see this in Jesus' life. It's in this temptation moment. It's like, hey, I, I want the commitment to fall through. And here's the crazy thing, is that the enemy is so crafty, and he's going to use something as simple as food, and he's going to be like, well, I mean, everybody's got to eat, right? It's like when you're studying for the test and all your friends are going out and then they tell you, well, you got to eat at some point, right? It's, that's how the enemy works. He's like, hey, I see that you're fasting, but you got to eat at some point. He takes the things that we could do and that are very permissible to do and they're things that we have said that we're not going to do in this moment and he's like, hey, you want to do it? You want to eat? Here's the crazy thing is you can microwave those rocks and they're good to go. And this is how he works in our lives. I remember a time when I felt um, we were going through a really hard season and I felt a deep commitment to family. I was like, man, we are struggling. We are not well. And we were actually on the way to plant a church. And I felt like God was saying to pause on all of that and just hunker down in the family. Like just be present, do the nine to five, show up at work, clock out, come home, be at home made that commitment. All of a sudden, this guy that I worked for years ago to this point, hadn't talked to him in years. I probably had like five different phone numbers between that point and this point, like, because we moved around. Like, I, I got that area code. I got that area code. I had all the area codes. And he calls me on my phone, and he's like, hey, Nick, how's it going? I was like, hey, hey Tim, how, how's, 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 how's it going? How are things? And he's like, hey, I need a favor. And I was like, okay, so we're not shooting the breeze. All right, here we go. He's like, hey, it's a property management place I work for in Charlotte. He was like, hey, I've got a neighborhood, and I want you to manage it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, praise God. I've been working a job. We're barely getting by. This is not great. We've got three, three kids. Like, it's just a bad situation. This is God answering my prayers. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, I need you to go to Myrtle Beach and leave Columbia and leave the family and manage this neighborhood. I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay, hold on, talk. So can I bring the family with me? Like, can I, how does this work? And he's like, no, 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 can't bring the family with you. Now, even if I, like, pay extra, like, is there a pay extra plan, like an unlimited family plan? Like, I can bring the family and come with you? He's like, nope, you got to leave the family there. I need you here Monday through Thursday, sometimes Friday, and then I need you to be on call. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, well, I just, I, I, I don't know if that's it. I hadn't even told you he was going to make yet. And I was like, okay. And he told me, and I kid you not, it was like four times what I was making then, and it is way more than I've ever thought about making. The enemy knows. Like, he knows, he knows, he 
knows, and he is going to do everything he can to take that one commitment that you said, you know what, I'm not going to do this. Like, it's going to be a spiritual time between me and God, and it's going to be amazing fields and flowers. And he shows up, and he's like, hey, how about that? How about it? Just, just, why don't you just consider it? Not only does he try to kill our commitments, he comes and capitalizes on our weariness. Anytime you are tired, anytime you are hungry, anytime you have had a week of a week, the enemy is going to use that. He knows when you're weary. Like, I cannot tell you how many times there have been nights of no sleep. And you're just one after the other, one after the other, and one after the other. And then finally the enemy shows up because he knows he's got us right where he wants us. If we're weary, then chances are that we're willing to compromise. Chances are that we're willing to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Chances are when we're weary, we're like, you know what? I've earned this. Like, it's been a hard week. Like, I, I, I need to get mine. Like, I need to do what I need to do because I, I have been working hard this week and things have happened and it's hit the fan. And so now I'm going to do what I need to do. Screw that tithe money. I'm going to Vegas. Like, we're blowing that money. I'm going to multiply it for the kingdom. Here's how it's working. I'm putting it all in red and I'll come back and I'll be rested and I'll have three times the more money and I can give more to the church, but not too much more because I don't, you know, I just don't want to give too, too much. He comes for our weariness. He knows when we're overextended. He knows when we are just at our worst. And he comes in and he attacks friendships. He attacks relationships. He attacks marriages. He attacks our quiet times. He attacks our Sabbaths. He does not care at all. The other thing on the enemy's LinkedIn profile is that he does not play by the rules. Like, that's just right under there at the other description. Like, that's just how he works. When you are tired and when you are weary and when you are exhausted was when he tries to do his best work. Over the last three years, I'm sure you've seen all over the Internet how the church is just fractured and fractured and fractured. I think that people were tired and weary and the enemy saw an opportunity. That's just what happened. Like, he was like, now my time to shine, time to shine, here I am. Like this is my one shining moment, I'm ready, put me in coach, I'm here to destroy the church. So not only does he attack our commitments and attack us in our weariness, he wants us to take matters into our own hands because here's what that does. If we take matters into our own hands, then we take them out of God's hands. Therefore, we don't have to trust God because it's all about us and what we want to do. Then the accuser transported Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem. He perched him at the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are really God's son, jump and I'll, and I'll catch you. Like something's going to happen. Jump and the angels will catch you. Like it's going to be great. Jesus called this a test. And what I think the test was is proving himself, proving his identity. That's not how it works. We are given our identity. We don't need to prove our identity. We work from who we are. We do not work for who we are. And so the very thing that the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to live in a relationship 
with religion rather than a relationship with Jesus. He wants us to think that we always need to prove ourselves. He wants us to think that it's always up to us. He wants us to think that it's always in our hands. He wants us to think that if any good thing is going to happen in our life, it's going to happen at our hands rather than God's hands. It's going to happen when we want it rather than when God wants us to have it. Have you ever felt this temptation where you're like waiting on God and you're like, well, screw this. I'm done waiting. I'm just going to jump. I'm tired of waiting. I don't want to do this anymore. Like I can just fix it right now. Like I know the thing is fix it, Jesus, but fix it, Nick. Like I'm just as good. Like I'm the team B. I have a spirit. I have his power. Like I can, I can do this thing. It's the enemy wants us to make us feel like we do not have to wait on God Therefore, we can step in, we can prove ourselves, and we can take matters into our own hands. Have you ever felt like this? Where you have a conflict in one area of your life, and you're like, you know what? I'm out. I don't need this anymore. I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. You shouldn't be treating me like that. Like, I'm out. I'm not going to persevere. I'm not going to press through. I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm jumping. I'm jumping ship. And I find too often when we jump ship, we realize that we have nothing to jump into because God was not done. He's not done in our lives. And so there's a temptation for us to take matters into our own hands. The last way the enemy works is he wants us to compromise. Third time, the accuser lifted Jesus up onto a very high mountain range, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor that goes with it. And all these kingdoms I will give to you, the accuser said, if only you will kneel down before me and worship me. Here is something I need you to know, and I wish I had like a neon blinking sign, and it was above my head, and every time I spoke, it highlighted the words that I'm about to say. Just because someone has a platform, just because someone has all these things going for them in their lives, just because someone is showing so many amazing skills and doing all these amazing things does not mean it's from God. I have seen the most toxic leaders lead out of that toxicity and people go, well, you know, it's just a lot of fruit. First of all, fruit is not what you do. It's who you are. When you read the fruits of the Spirit, it doesn't say that they're able to talk a long time and give a compelling TED Talk and be able to lead worship and sing like the angels, and then they can heal everyone, and then they can do this, and then they can do that, and then they can do this, and then they can sing, and then they can dance, and then they tip the hat, and they're like, ta-da! And you're like, oh my gosh, that was a move of God. We live in a performance-based culture, in a platform-based culture, in an influence-based culture. Therefore, we worship what is influential in our lives. The enemy will give power to people all the time. He will give power to people who will do whatever it takes to get that power. There are so many people who have compromised how God is going to work in their life just to get to the end rather than taking the long way to the end. And what Jesus is showing us is he's like, hey, you know what? God's going to give me all the kingdoms. He's going to give me all the power. He's going to give all the authority. And so what the enemy was trying to do is he was like, hey, rather than hang yourself on a cross, wouldn't you just like to pledge your loyalty to me? And I'm telling you, people will choose simplicity over suffering every time. 
the only way to get to the destiny that God has for you is to walk the long way and to walk with him as he journeys you to the end of your life. If you think your destination is marriage, the enemy is going to do everything you can to compromise that journey along the way. If you think your destination is leading, then the enemy is going to make you take unhealthy leadership situations and lead out of unhealth rather than waiting for God to finish the work. If you feel like God's called you to be very influential through financial giving and you think you are going to have to compromise your character in order to get what God has for you, then that is of the enemy. There are amazing opportunities presented to us all the time and we are calling that God's door and it's actually the side door. And Satan's like, hey, come on in. The water's great, got the temperature down, got all the drinks on ice. It's going to be great. You don't have to take that hard path. You don't have to go that way. And what he was doing in this moment is he was like, hey, Jesus, let's cut to the chase. Like, you're going to have all authority, all the power. Like, you want to bypass the cross? Like, you want to bypass the suffering? You want to bypass the refining that happens in marriage? You want to bypass the refining that happens in friendship? You want to bypass sitting under spiritual authority? You want to bypass taking the hard road? You want to bypass putting in the days at the office where it's just really hard and all that? Why don't you just compromise your character and get where you need to be? Just take the short way. And I'm telling you, it catches up with us every single day time. You compromise once, you'll compromise again because you'll see the payoff. The enemy is there for the payoff. He will give you any platform your heart desires. How crazy is that? That's how he works because he knows if you have an unhealthy character and he gives you an unhealthy platform at an unhealthy time in your life, then you will cause even a greater damage in your life. And so he shows us that he wants us to compromise. So how can we fight back the enemy? How can we fight back and just claim our victory that we have in Christ Jesus? I'll go super quick. I'm so sorry. The first way is humility. This is God's word, Proverbs 3, 7. This is not Nick's words. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, he's quoting Proverbs 3, he says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. One of the things that I see that is the kiss of death is when people think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Like, I, no, I'm good. Like, I, I'm fine. Like, I, I, I got this. Like, I'm, I'm doing great in life. And I got my quiet times down. They're dialed in. All these. What I find is that sometimes we think that we are immune to the spiritual attack in our life. We think that it's not going to happen to us, it's going to happen to them, and it's never going to happen to us. But what humility does is it gives us a sober mind and a sober heart you say, for us to say, you know what, if Jesus wasn't immune, chances are I'm not going to be immune. Like if, if Jesus still had this happen to him, like chances are I think that it's going to possibly could happen to me. Here's another thing that Jesus didn't do. He didn't say, you know what, actually, I've been doing a lot of reflecting and listening to some podcasts. He didn't say, you know what, I've Googled that, and um, this is my rebuttal to that. Like, Jesus, the foundation, our bedrock, 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who gets all of our worship, the one who gets all of our adoration, the one who was God in this moment in the form of flesh, does not stand on his own understanding. Do you see what he does? He recites God's word. And I think that's a model for us. I think we have to humbly walk through life and humbly walk through spiritual temptation. I am not trying to instill worry or fear in your heart. I am just trying for you to be sober-minded. I'm trying for you to see that no one is too far from spiritual attack over their lives. I'm not trying to get you to be fearful. I'm just trying to implement a vision and a heartbeat that allows you to see that, you know what, if Jesus was in this moment, then, then I need to be aware and I need to have some humility in this moment. If you think that you're too removed from spiritual temptation, then you are living in the eye of the hurricane and you don't even know it. You're like, oh, just great. It's fine. We have to be humble. We have to be sober-minded. We have to stand firm and then stand firm again. We have to stand firm, and then we have to stand firm again. Ephesians 6, 13 says, stand, and then once you've done all these things, I need you to stand again. The enemy came after Jesus three times. He was like, hey, round one. Hey, round two. Hey, round three. And we have to be on guard at all times. I don't know if you noticed this, but the enemy was using God's word. The enemy was using God's word against God. The enemy knows God's word. We think that like the Satan is some like little red devil that like sits on our shoulder and is like, don't do that. You can do that now. Like, don't, don't go there. Do that. Don't, don't do this. Don't do it. That's not his style. His style is to take the good and God things in this world and twist them and deceive us. He's there to deceive us. And so we have to stand firm and then stand again. How many times do you get to the end of a day or end of the week and you're like, I'm just done. I'm just done. I just, I don't want to stand up anymore. And it is in those moments that God's power comes in your weakness and you receive a new spiritual authority and you receive a new anointing and you receive a new overfilling to be able to say, you know what? I'm standing again. The enemy cannot take me out. He's not going to take me out this time. He tried, but he's not taking me out again. This is happening, but he's not going to do it again. I'm standing and then I'm standing firm. You have to be willing to stand. Here's the hard part about standing is that I cannot make you stand for yourself. I can stand around you. I can hold your arms up. I can do everything I can. This community can do everything. But you have to choose to stand. I can't like weekend at Bernie's like throw you up. Anybody ever seen that movie? I'm so old. I'm so old. Golly. Sorry. And they, it's, the whole movie is that they carry around this dead guy for like a whole weekend so that they could party all the I cannot carry you around like Bernie all week. I cannot do that. You have to be able to stand. But here's the most beautiful thing about standing is God has created you to stand. He's created you to stand firm. He's not going to put in his word, hey, make sure you stand firm, and be like, ah, just kidding. I didn't give you the ability to stand. Stand firm in the name of Jesus. He's given you that power. He's given you that victory. And that is who you are. You are one who stands firm. And lastly, allow yourself to be ministered to. Here's the most beautiful thing about this passage. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, the one who is over all and who is going to be reigning for eternity, has this moment where he allows the angels to come around and minister to him. I think 
that we need to allow ministry to happen in our lives. I am getting old. I am, I am, I am well approaching the second half of my life. And I look back on my life and I see ways that I didn't allow myself to be ministered to. And as a result, I responded in pride. And as a result, I gave in to spiritual attack. Anytime we have these moments in our lives, if we aren't submitting ourselves to spiritual authority, you need to know that you are passively submitting yourself to spiritual attack. Anytime you are not allowing yourself to be ministered to, you are allowing yourself to be put into the hands of the enemy. And Jesus shows us, he's like, hey, they're coming around me, they're ministering to me, and we have to be willing to allow ourselves to be ministered by others. When I was about to plant this church, I sat down with a very influential pastor in this city. The very nature of him giving me any time at all was so gracious. And he was like, hey, here's, here's something you need to know, is that the first three to five years of your church is going to be like a parade. There's going to be a parade of people. They're going to come through. They're going to hang out. And then there's going to be another parade. And you're going to like wave. And it's going to be hard, but practice your parade wave. They're, they're going to go, and then there'll be another crowd, and then, you know, practice your prayer. Like, this is how it works. And I was like, nah, not, not us. Like, we're, we're going to love people perfectly. It's going to be great. Like, we are going to have the perfect church. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to have caffeinated coffee, and so people aren't going to want to leave. Like, we're going we're gonna to sing all the greatest hits, so it's going to be really wonderful, and it's Man, people were leaving left and right, and I just ate a big old slice of humble pie. You have to get to a place in your life where you are allowing people to minister to you. Here's something even bigger is you have to let the generation ahead of you minister to you. Because I see the biggest work of the enemy in the church is convincing the generations that they should have nothing to do with each other. There is a generation of people who have gone before you and a generation of people who are behind us, and we have to work together to fight spiritual attack. There are going to be things that people are able to tell me that are coming in the next few years, and as a younger person, there are going to be people in your life that want to tell you, like, hey, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't go that way. And you have to be willing to say, you have to be willing to accept and you have to be willing to not say, you know what, I Googled it and I listened to a podcast and everything's going to be fine. It's going to be great because I learned it on the internet. Allow yourself to be under spiritual authority so that you can stand firm in spiritual attack. The enemy is crafty. He's crafty, he's crafty, he's crafty. Do not let yourself be susceptible to spiritual attack. It is hard enough as it is. Here's the deal. If you're sitting there and you're like, man, I've, I've done this. I've compromised. I, I yelled at my kids on the way here because that's just how we get to church. It's like I, I did this and I did that. And I was weary and then I did this. And I, The most beautiful thing about our God is he gives us the model, but he also gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us love. He put Jesus on that cross so that when you have days where you didn't WWJD, what would Jesus do? He's like, hey, that's okay. I knew you were going to do that. Here's the grace. Here's the love. Here's the mercy. Here's the forgiveness. Now go stand firm again. 
You are a victor in Christ Jesus. You are not a victim of the enemy. He's given you a spiritual authority. He's given you a spiritual power. And it is our job to be able to say, you know what, God? I'm walking humbly with you. I want to be sober-minded. I don't want to think that I am too qualified for any situation. And then I'm going to stand, and I'm going to stand firm. And then here's the other thing, is I'm going to be able to live a life that allows myself to be ministered to, allows myself to be cared for. And because of those things, you are putting yourself in the best place that you can to thwart the enemy's attacks over your life. I promise you the plans and the purposes that God has for your life are so amazing and so great. And there is a harvest ahead, but you cannot let the enemy take you out before you get to see the harvest. You cannot let the enemy come into your life and deceive you and distract you from the things that God has for you. Do you believe that God has good things for your life? Okay, if he's got good things, the enemy's got some things planned. So let's fight back. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Father, I just pray that you would just help us stand firm. Father, we just pray for this time. Father, I pray that it would just be a, a time of ministry. Father, my words fall so short. God, I just pray that you would speak in this moment. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in to Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.